0: Um, Alhamdulillah, we are here and as I always like to, I say this to the panelists first so that you have context, we are now live, however it does take a moment for it to come um, onto social media, but this is a great time as I'm doing an introduction for you guys to share it I'm from the Dope Muslim Woman podcast page, um, you can share it to your personal page, that would be great. All right, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Um, welcome back to the Dope Muslim Woman Podcast. As you enter in, you guys know the routine. Please offer your salam so that we can exchange those greetings of peace and we can keep the barakah in this exchange and in our dialogue. Um, assalamu alaikum everybody. Welcome to the panelists. Welcome to um, our, our, our audience members. Waikum salam wa We are here season three. Um, we are here in series four, which is the accountability and stability podcast series a very very important culminating podcast series that we're doing Walaikum salam stacy alaykum salam Saudia. um and alhamdulillah we have reached you know we we have discussed thus far our sexual desires and providing our our economic situations and now we're at our mental health managing our mindsets um salam medina um it's good to see all of you guys thank you for giving salams please share the podcast we are now here with I'm Not Crazy, okay? And so we have a dope group of panelists here who I'm gonna introduce. But first and foremost, can I just say sound like them to you guys? You guys can come off mute and say, hey, to the audience members. Salute. Salute.
1: Salute. Salute. Salute.
0: All right, we have a beautiful, beautiful group of people here. I'm gonna go ahead and introduce I'm gonna first start with our, you know, um, with no bias. I don't wanna say all-star pray, player, cause that's not right. But he is representing, mashallah and holding it down for the Akis. So we wanna, you know, we wanna give him honor. Um, but Alhamdulillah, this brother is widely acknowledged as a critically acclaimed author and lecturer, and one of the leading and most passionate voices of his generation. Excuse me. On the contemporary social political challenges and issues of our time. This brother specializes primarily in the analysis and documentation of events and issues that impact Muslims in the Islamic experience in America today. He is a renowned, respected activist and servant leader in the Muslim American community for over 20 years. He founded the Islam in America movement in 2008 and serves as his national representative. This is a very concise he does so much, so much more. But I would like to welcome Brother Amin Mathari to the show. Assalamu alaikum.
1: Wa alaikum, assalamu wa rahmatullah. Thank, Thank you for you having me. Being me. Here,
0: brother, I appreciate it's an honor. you being here. An hum-
1: honor be honor and, a
0: pleasure. and I'm going to jump over to um, Alhamdulillah. We're so happy and humbled to have um, a licensed practicing counselor here. But this sister she's trained in EMDR. Eye movement desens is desensitization. correct me Amanda.
2: Desensitization.
0: There we go. To treat trauma, she utilizes cognitive behavioral therapy, mindfulness, and other therapies to help clients find relief and reach their identified mental health goals. She customizes the treatment based on each client's individual strengths and needs. This amazing sister works as a licensed practicing counselor, associate in Louisville, Kentucky, and specializes, again, in cognitive behavioral therapy. Welcome, Sister Amanda Brown, to the show. Thank you so much for having me.
2: I love what you do, Sabria, and I am honored that you invited me on the
0: show. And thank you for being back. I know you were here for the Brianna Taylor special, so it's an honor to have you back. I'm also here with um, a beloved long, long-time friend um, and, and humbled guest. Um, she was on another, um, she was on series, uh, season two, an audio podcast. And I always say that her podcast is on the audio platform, still the most popular <laughs> podcast, <upon laughs> so people are fascinated with your story. But this sister, she's an educator over 20 years. Um, she's a phenomenal human being, a mother, a pioneer in the community, a beloved friend, and someone who um, is... Um, multi and um, she spoke to that experience on a previous podcast. Um, welcome, Halima Munoz, to the show. Thank
3: you, thank you for having me.
0: So thank Excited. you for being here. I'm gonna laugh. Now this dope sister here, I was like, I gotta get her on. She was born and raised from Brooklyn, New York. Um, she's a founder of BAM, which is a group exclusively for Black American-born Muslims who were born and raised into Islamic, into Islam to share their experiences. For years, she's also been a part of Medina Women's Committee at Mashet Tuckwa in Brooklyn, New York, where she hosted community events and programs for women. She has an associate's degree in community and human services with a concentration of family and children. She also has experience working with the substance abuse population as well as the individuals who have behavioral and intellectual challenges. Welcome, Sister Mukhtara Kennedy, to the show. Asalamu alaikum.
4: Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Thank
0: you for all the work. You do. Well, welcome, you guys. We're gonna get right into this discussion. I'm not crazy, and I can tell you, it definitely brought a lot of perspectives out. You know, I like to always ask these questions um, to find out how how people are um, actually navigating their mindset, navigating issues related to mental health, navigating their relationships. But I wanted to start first and foremost, if that's okay with you, brother, Na- Na- um, brother I mean. Um, so I wanted to just start with us as a people. It is clear that um, systemic barriers impact mental health in the black community. Research consistently shows that these disparities are not a new phenomenon, and they've been present for generations. Historically, the black community was and continues to be disadvantaged in mental health through subjection, through trauma, through enslavement, oppression, colonialism, racism and segregation. I wanted to just start with you and ask what happens as a member of the black Muslim community as it relates to us being able to manage our history, the, the like I said, these the historical components I just mentioned, and our mental health. When we come into Islam, we're Muslim, we're Black. What, wow. How does how do we intersect our mental health? How is it impacted,
1: Sisters, That's that is the the sixty four million dollar question, and it's a very loaded question because we can talk about it from two aspects. We can talk about what should happen, but I have to first talk about what doesn't happen. And what doesn't happen is that people, for the most part, aren't able to revert or enter into Islam and still be able to address issues that they had before they became Muslim because all too often what happens is that people think that the Shahada is a a magic bullet and a panacea for all And you check your blackness at the door and your shahada will remove from you all ills, challenges, whether it be mental illness or whatever it is, whatever challenges we have, the shahada is supposed to remove it. You don't need therapy. You make some dua, talk to the sheikh, read some Quran, and you'll be fine. This is what happens. Historically, this is what has happened. But finally, as Allah would have it, by his permission, we're at a place in our development where we're starting to see people are taking this aspect of our deen because it's part of, it's part of our deen to, you know, to come to terms with these issues and deal with these issues. People are starting to take this more serious even at the Masajid and Islamic Center level in some cases. But I would have to say, for the most part, we're still lacking institutionally in terms of how we address these things and for every one masjid or center that has some type of uh, outreach or I want to say outreach, some type of, of a portal where you can go and deal with these issues. If you have a substance abuse problem and you come into a slam, you know, that's a completely different dynamic, but it's definitely relevant for every one masjid that has these programs. There's another 10 that don't. So, we have to look at that and we have to discuss this. And I'm really interested in hearing what our sisters have to say because it's even more so from a standpoint of the Muslim woman. And I'll just give you one example, then I'm going to be quiet. Give you, okay, you have a situation where if a Muslim woman, uh, let's go back, if, if a Muslim man is dealing with any type of challenge, loses his house, department, job, or whatever, worst case scenario, he could always come and stay at the mastid. Oh, brother, come on in, put a sleeping bag down, you'd be okay, you get back on board, you know, mashallah, everything's gonna be okay. But let a sister with her babies undergo any type of difficulty and she doesn't get that same response because of issues of hijab, issues of privacy, oh, we can't have the sisters in a masjid, all these other things, where the women and their babies would have more of a right to that speech than, the, than a man would in terms of their safety and what have you. So that's just one example. So take that and then look at issues of, you know, mental health and managing all of those challenges that come along with that. And we can clearly see that we have, you know, a long a long way to go, but our sisters are particularly even more impacted in my humble opinion than mm. you know, than the brothers are. And it's not even close.
0: Jazakallah and Thank you for that. Um, Sister Amanda, if it's okay to jump right to you, because I know this is your work, this is your day-to-day work, and I know that you deal with the Muslim community as well. Um, what are some of the aspects of which you're seeing as it intersects with just being actually being a Muslim, like our brother, beloved brother said, you know, having the Qur'an, having the solution, but still trying to manage your mental health? Yeah.
2: Well, really, I think one of the biggest misconceptions with being muslim and within the muslim community is that because we're muslim we become muslim we take shahada you know we have a law we have quran we have our deen. it's like we once we get that we're supposed to have it all figured out that's it right like you're supposed to have it all together all the answers lie and do like if i am depressed and i go to a muslim in the community for example maybe i go and talk about my depression and my anxiety Kind of answers you're going to hear are well sister maybe you're a man as well right like maybe you need to pray more you know fast fasting things like that which of course are wonderful things but like does that have to do what does it have to do with me actually being so depressed that i can't get out of bed right if i can't get out of bed then i can't i'm not going to pray more um or for example if you somebody telling them that you have anger issues or that you're grieving or you know grief, grief is really a good one like you're grieving and you go, to, uh, when maybe you go to one of your brothers and sisters and tell them that, and they're just like, you have to accept the last thunder. It's a lot, it. you know, it's preordained. Like, as if you having struggles with these things is equating to not being a good Muslim or having a strong faith. Um, and, you know, once we become Muslim, it doesn't just mean that all, being Muslim doesn't mean that all of your problems just magically go away because you have the Quran and Sunnah. We're human too. Um, and Allah Subhanahu tells us that he's going to test us in this life he's going to test the trials, tribulations with our health and it's interesting because if you were to come and say sister I have high blood pressure or something then people are not going to tell you oh go pray they're going to say hey go see somebody but when it comes to like emotional or mental things people want to you know we are quick to try to like judge or say that we're not being patient or not being um, you know, we're not accepting our religion or not being the good Muslim. And I just think it's real, it's interesting, like a lot of the Muslims that I work with, I have a lot of Muslim um, clients, and, you know, a lot of them come to me and they tell me that. They say, you know, uh, it took me a while to come here because, you know, a lot of times we'll go to PNAM or we'll go to our parents. And, you know, and then we add the black, our black Muslim community, on top of that, when well, we already have a lot of systematic issues and distrust, with the healthcare system in general, from um, historical historical things, it compounds even more. You know, nobody wants to be crazy. Nobody wants to um, show that they don't have it all together. And I just feel like it gets more compounded when you add the religion. And it's funny because you know, if you're praying, when you have you're doing everything right, you're praying and you're um, and you're um, you know doing doing everything. Sometimes you need medication. Sometimes you need therapy. And so I just feel like we have a misconception that like the brother said, it's not in Islam, it's a magic pill.
0: Yeah, SubhanAllah. JazakAllah, Kainan, thank you so much. Um, yeah, that's really powerful insight. And I appreciate you sharing what you're actually seeing in your field. Um, if I wanted to jump right on over to you, um, Sister Halima, and I wanted to just ask, because, you know, as we talk about this, um, we can talk about it in a broad sense of just trying to normalize the taboo. But, you know, to be honest with you, just as Muslim women, Halima, we, you know, often we wear so many hats, right? Yeah. Um, we, we, go, we carry, we carry yeah. the banner of Islam on our shoulders. We're visibly yeah. Muslim in this society, right? We, um, we're mothers, we're wives, we're supposed to, you know, every time someone asks us how we're doing, right? Um, exactly. and and a lot of times you know we're, we're we, we are comfortable with seeing how we really feel when we're asked we say that we're stressed we say that we're tired I just wanted to ask you as a Muslim woman um, you know where are we going wrong first of all how are we mismanaging our own mental well-being
3: yeah that's a that's a really good question I think that um, kind of you know piggybacking off what the other um, brother and sister were saying is that you know, in our community, we, it's like, it's what I call like religious shaming, you know, (laughs) this idea that you have to survive, you know, you have to be strong and any sense of, you know, issues with your mental health, that means, you know, you're weak, you know, and um, it's, it's a shameful thing. So, you know, being in the community for a long time and experiencing different things in my own life, you know, you know, that idea of, well, you know, go to the imam, go to the, you know, community for help. And, you know, but there's a lot of judgment there. And I don't think a lot of time is judgment necessarily from a negative place, but from a misunderstanding. You know, and as Muslim women, we have to be very careful of our mindset and our mental health. You know, we're mothers, you know, we carry children, we pass those emotions and those traumas on to our children. You know, I have, you know, plenty of stories, a book I can write about that. You know, in regards to my children and things that, you know, we've experienced. And, and you know, um, I remember one time I went to my uncle's funeral and um, another family member uh, were Muslim, you know, Muslim, Janazah said to another family member, oh, you know, like kind of chastised them for not, you know, crying, for crying over a loved one. And mind you, it wasn't sobbing. It wasn't, you know, a sobbing situation. And another family member said, wait a minute. You know, like the Prophet he 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 cried when his son passed away. So, a natural emotion to release stress is being deemed as un-Islamic. You're a natural human emotion that Allah has given us, and I think as women, we hold it all in. You know, and then you see it affecting our health. You see you see it affecting our ability to make sound decisions and. We make these decisions that, you know, other people looking like what's wrong with her, you know, because they're not they're unconscious. You know, there's things that haven't been dealt with, you know. So it's just like layers of things that contribute to, you know, Muslim women's issues and how we, you know, you know, how we handle our stress. You know, we want to seem like we're just we got it all together. We want to seem like, you know, we holding it down. We take our kids are Islamic, you know, you know, we're doing it all but, you know, if for one moment, you know, we're weak, oh, you know, you're not you don't fear Allah. You don't you know, you don't know this religion. You know, you need to go to your sheikh, You need to go to, you know, medicine. For Allah, you know, but you know, honestly, me, myself, I had I wouldn't say to that extreme, but I had that particular mindset that. You know, like, okay, are these conditions people have, these traumas, bipolar, schizophrenia, you know, and I talk about those because those directly affect my family. And um, and even just simple depression, you know, simple depression, um, you know, is is there is it something that, you know, is wrong with them? Are they do they not have faith? You know, and unfortunately, sometimes it has to hit you and impact you for Mm -hmm. you to see, you know what? this is real and we have to start talking about this you know we have to you know start making it comfortable for people to open up and talk about it because although it's getting better in the secular world and as far as you know as far as like you know you see a lot of celebrities and famous people talking about you know oh you know mental health and especially in the black and brown community you know you know don't shame people for getting counseling they're still in the religious community a lot of work to be done. Like the brother said, the infrastructure is not there. You know, I mean, if you have an issue, if you have a, a psychotic breakdown, where are you gonna go to? If you have a family member that has mental health issues, that has schizophrenia, that has bipolar disorder, where are they gonna live? You see most of those people on the street, Yeah. you know? So um, not to kind of get off on a tangent, but yeah. as Muslim women, you know, um, we carry a lot of burdens. We carry a lot of weight. And we just have to be careful because it can really, you know, cause us, you know, deep, deep wounds that will take generations to heal from.
0: Thank you, Halima. That was really um, pow- that was powerful and beautiful. Thank you so much, Muktar. I'm jumping up to you. Um, I know, you know, you are um, kind of a founder of BAM, which is, a, a, you know, a phenomenal. Um, Facebook, a movement, I'm gonna call it a movement, but you focus in on, um, uh, you know, us uh, as a community, those that were born into Islam and we're second generation Muslims here, a lot of us, some our third. Um, and um, you know, we, we saw a lot, you know, we experienced a lot. So, yes, <laughs> I just, yeah, man, yes, right. so I wanted to ask you just as it relates to just also being that second generation Muslim woman, um, you know what are some things that you're seeing as it relates to um mental health and what you know cuz i can go on for days about this but how our upbringing like how taboo was it girl <sighs> <laughs> <Whew>.
4: well listen <laughs> subhanallah it's heavy um well first i would like to talk about how it, our parents, right? A lot of our parents came from that era, from that civil rights movement, from that era, you know what I'm saying? Survival of the fittest, you know? A lot of them came from really rough backgrounds, you know what I'm saying? And so when they embraced Islam, and some of them had trouble households too, you know, prior to embracing Islam. Um, and so when they embraced Islam, some of them still came with these same behaviors, same attitudes, you know what I mean? Um, having mental problems that are unaddressed and so um a lot of them have masked the dean you know to cover up what's really going on inside you know how we are in a black community you know what i'm saying like we don't really talk about this stuff you know pray it away <laughs> you know that's from the shaitan you know what i mean just very dismissive and so that trickles down into how you parent your children you know how you parent right and the effects of that is it's it's heavy. Um a lot a lot of us are traumatized. I mean, there's there's been a lot of trauma. I mean, because you know I run BAM, and um there's, there's been a lot of trauma, a lot of spiritual abuse. Um and this, like the brother said, there's not a, enough um programs in line in our community to address this, right? Um, I know people who are not practicing Islam anymore. And they're out there in the streets, you know, like their mind is gone, you know, sisters, uh, another effect of sisters entering marriages, um, spouses, um, you know, not doing the work that's necessary to heal. Like this is all, uh, problematic. Um, it's a lot. That's Yeah.
0: Yeah.
4: And so I think the problem with that is that, um, there's not enough support in our communities. Like, like the sister said, alhamdulillah, like, you know, we. Um, I feel like now, you know, people are better um, equipped with understanding the mental health, but we still have a lot of negativity associated with it. Um, a lot of people still do not understand what mental illness is, <laughs> um, certain mental illnesses. A lot of people are self-diagnosing themselves, which is very problematic. Okay, you're labeling yourself bipolar or other people bipolar, schizophrenic, OCD, and you have no idea what that really means. <laughs> and that's problematic in itself. Um, so these are the things that we definitely need to address in our community, um, and how we treat each other as well. You know what I mean? Like we need more love. We don't have mm-hmm. enough love in our communities. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't make it a safe place for people to share. That's another problem, you know. Um there's so many things that we need to work on. Um, I think that every mesjid needs someone in the mental health field, on their committee, on their board, to contribute towards, you know, making decisions in the mesjid, to refer people to services. I think that's so necessary. We don't have that. We need a one-stop shop <laughs> yeah. uh, for our communities. I think that's necessary, um, yeah.
0: Thank you so much, Ms. Matar. You said a whole you mouthful. Know. And as someone who shares a similar you know experience has witnessed um witnessed a lot of it you're right there was we didn't know what it was it was just traumatic <laughs> but it was a lot of mental health issues that we were witnessing kind of um unaddressed unaddressed um brother the i'm jumping over to you aki um because as a man i think it's really important that we understand it um you know often you know we get <laughs> uh, you know i get into these circles with women and um muslim sisters um and there's a lot of times when things go wrong in marriages, brother, the first, you know, a lot of things we hear is, you know, he was, you know, he was crazy. He was a narcissist. He was, you know, psychotic, you know, um, schizophrenic, bipolar, um, bipolar more so than schizophrenic. But these are often things that we, you know, we hear and um, in, in, in we talk about. Um, I just want to know, like, in the, as far as with our beloved Muslim brothers, you know how 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 are we managing our mental health? Are we are we moving the needle with being able to acknowledge this, being comfortable with going to therapy and counseling? Are we getting better in that regard? And and far as Muslim Black Muslim men in particular? Oh brother, I'm sorry. You're on mute. That's my phone,
1: Oh, some of us. So, sorry, go be good. All right. Some good. some <laughs> of some of us are. Some of us aren't, and I'm and I'm putting that in first person, saying "us," because I've I've been through the process. I've gone to therapy. I still go to therapy because we and and see that's the problem, you know. Allah tells us that you know in the law. Never will Allah change the condition until you change yourself. So if people aren't even willing to have the conversation. And how are we ever gonna move to a place where a person, a man, is comfortable with going to therapy? So that's the conversation, first and foremost, that a person has to have, you know, with their Lord and themselves, okay, I need this, I have have issues that aren't going to be solved strictly by, you know, adhering to the Qur'an and, you know, the Sunnah of the Prophet making dua and all these things like that, you know, and people have to just be willing to put in the work uh what we find all too often is that we don't want to put in the work because people have oftentimes told us that it's not necessary to put in the work as all our sisters have alluded to earlier uh this is a, this is an issue of weaky mind you know you do those things that bring you closer to the remembrance of Allah then all these problems will go away no you have to do the work and i would add another component to it from um from a male from a man's perspective and i'm sure my sisters would agree that This conversation about mental health, this needs to be a conversation that also happens before folks get married. This needs to be a a conversation at the sit-down. Because all too often, and I'm just, you know, you know, may may Allah guide my heart and my tongue. See, sometimes on both sides, and I found this, it's not always the brothers' fault, it's not always the sister's fault. Sometimes it's both their fault, because they're coming into the situation with baggage. And guess what? We all go into every relationship with baggage. You just have to ask yourself, if you're going to marry somebody, how much of their baggage are you willing to carry? Because you're going to have to carry some of that baggage. And it's a different kind of carrying of baggage if a person is willing to do the work versus the person that's not willing to do the work. And I had to learn that the hard way from my own experience. And we have our sisters here that are trained in this field. So uh, I'm not saying anything that I'm sure that, you know, they haven't heard before that even our audience hasn't heard before, but we still haven't gotten to that point yet, you know, and again, until we as Muslim men and women are, you know, till we own our stuff, you know, one of my first conversations that I had, you know, when I embarked upon the, you know, the process for myself, you know, I went and I had a bunch of complaints, and I was asked, "All right, is is this her stuff or is it your stuff?" Mm. All right, makes you look in the mirror. I, I'm going about a self, you know, the self-examination, the reflection, and oftentimes we don't take time to do that. One because, sadly. And I say this with all due respect to imams and many of them are, you know, peers and some of them are my elders. A lot of times we don't spend enough time in our lectures and in our halakas talking about this idea of self-examination and looking at yourself. We're always looking externally and in every situation, we always want to think it's the other person. You know, we read those verses in the Quran. Allah's not talking about me, he's talking about them, that ain't me, you know, what, what, what are you talking about? So until we reverse that trend and we begin to take ownership of our stuff, Sabria and, and you know, my sisters that you know are on this panel, we're gonna to continue to be in this same space. But I really think, and Allah knows best, you know, I really believe that we have a pathway because, like you all, I'm second generation Muslim. I have children, and now alhamdulillah, I'm a grandfather. There's four generations of Muslims in my family. Four generations. So I'm seeing that now, all of you that were born and raised in Islam, like me, you know, thirty years ago, we would have not been able to have this conversation. What you come on a podcast publicly and talk about mental health? What <laughs> man? You would be as my friend, a lot of mercy on his soul. He would say they would they would haram you up over that. You would be you would be outcast for even talking about these things in a public space that have traditionally been left. You know, swept under the the rug of the house or the rug of the
0: master. Jazakallah khayran. You know, sister Amina, I'm um, sister Amanda. Excuse me. I wanted to just give um, a little bit off of um, brother's comments um, uh, in regards to relationships. Um, you know, you know, the just so said, and I'm just going to share this with you. Because most of our men were conditioned not to feel, can't get depressed, it leads to mental health issues because they're taught not to have an outlet to express themselves and what they're going through. And um, you know, I know, you know, that that's what Sister Huda shared, but in regards to relationships, what are you also seeing as it relates to women or how we're showing up in the relationship? What are we struggling with as black mm. women?
2: Okay. Well, first, I just wanted to come back a little bit. You sure. mentioned trauma. Uh, the sister mentioned trauma and uh, the brother said that we need to own our stuff. <laughs> so first of all, it's so funny because people, um, we think, you know, we think by like repressing this stuff and putting it away that we're hiding from it. We're not. We're not hiding from it. It's if you think about trauma and grief and all this stuff, in particular to women and men, um, is that grief and trauma say, say pay me now or pay me later. You're going to have to deal with me at some point. So when you try to repress it or try to pray it away, or, you know, um, it comes out in oftentimes our mental and our emotional trauma, distress comes out in physical, physical ways. Um, You know, Sometimes people are going around, and they have like, you know, un, maybe like, I met had a client who had chronic back pain, and um, she had no idea why she's walking around with the chronic back pain, she went to the doctor, getting scans, nothing, right? Come to find out that when we did some of our EMDR trauma work, after like going through it, her back pain was gone. because because we deal with these traumas and these repressed emotions and these things, they actually live in our body, and um, so... Um, there's a um, author, Bessel, I can't think of name, Bessel He wrote this book called The Body Keeps the Score. So every time we're going through traumas and through our life, our body is keeping a mental score, a, a physical score. So that that back pain you're having, that chronic headache, that fatigue, all of that is coming out. So when we don't deal with our stuff and we just keep on trying to put it away, uh, it's going to come out. It's going to come out in a physical way. And um, like women, especially Muslim women, one thing, I was, I was actually talking to a client today about this, the Muslim sister, um, and we were talking about, also, as a Muslim women, we wear hijab, for example, we wear hijab, right? And a lot of us have been wearing hijab for a million years, it <laughs> seems like. I feel like I've been wearing hijab for a years. And, you know, I mean, I'm very confident in my hijab. I wear it. It's, you know, it's fine. But when we're going out into our workspaces, or going school with non-Muslims or, or we're going, being around other people, sometimes we don't realize the weight that we're holding of always being the other, you know, always like uh, being, you know, we can't hide behind, we have our on, that sister that person's different, you know, and sometimes, even though we might not subconsciously think, you know, we think, I'm oh, good, I'm good, I'm fine, but literally, like, oftentimes holding that in subconsciously, it it causes anxiety, it causes stress. You know, and um, I, that is what really came to mind when I thought about, like, some of the things that Muslim women deal with. Um, also, as a Muslim woman, there's a lot of, a lot put on us to be, like, you know, good Muslim wives, good Muslim moms, just in general. Our culture already is, <laughs> puts way too much on women, just in general. We have to manage the household and the kids, and we just, um, our culture, this individualistic society oftentimes just puts a lot of pressure on us to be beautiful, to have everything good, to be a good wife, to be a good mom. And so when you add that layer of being Muslim, being a visible Muslim, or not, you know, still it's it's a pressure that I don't think that we address. And like I said, these little things, those little microaggressions you get with somebody's telling you like, oh, you know, oh, are you hot in that? Or you can wear that in the shower. Literally, I haven't, that's I asked him that. Um, you know, these little microaggressions, they build up you know, they build up, and it can come out in anxiety, it can come out in various ways, so thinking that we're just like, not, uh, when the brother said, like, owning it, and uh, working through ourselves, we can't hide from it, it's gonna come out, you know, uh, it's just one of those things when it comes to, like, anxiety, depression, emotional distress, mental health, that we're able, it's invisible, you know, it's not a broken leg, it's not a bleeding wound, so it's invisible, so it's easy to kind of, like, push it to the side, but like I said, it's going to say, "Pay me now or pay me later." And when it comes to relationships, you know, um, yeah, you think that it's might. You might think, "Well, I've got it all together. I'm holding it together. It's not bothering anybody. It's my own thing. I got it." But no, it does. You don't have it. You're when you're having an angry outburst at your kid because you're just stressed out. When you're, um, you know, going off on your husband or your wife when you. Uh, um, feeling overwhelmed or depressed and you can't get out of bed you know these things are all due to our mental health Uh, sometimes we need and we sometimes they come out as autoimmune autoimmune responses or physical ailments so i just think it's important that we normalize getting therapy normalize uh, and be honest about our struggles you know, uh, as the brother said, the, our parents' generation is like, I'm not crazy, you know, I'll go to therapy. Like, um, I don't need to go to therapy, I'll need to do crazy pills. And um, it's actually funny because I feel like now I get a lot more people, I have a lot, I get a lot of clients, a lot of African-American clients, a lot more, and people are definitely coming, black people are definitely coming to therapy more. Yeah, definitely. Right. But there's still that stigma attached, I feel like, that I'm seeing, my first person, is okay to be in therapy, but it's not okay to take medication, you know, because then no. you're really crazy, right? Like, uh, you know, I just, I just want to talk about my problems, you know, but like, when you have a, if I'm taking anxiety medication, there's like still a little hesitation or a shame to share. I wouldn't be afraid to tell people that have high blood pressure, to tell them I'm taking high blood pressure medication, but uh, I don't want people to think, you know, I don't have it all together.
0: Absolutely. So, yeah. That's 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 really. And I mean, that's really insightful, I um, and especially as it relates to what Muslim women. I think a lot of women, Sister Amanda echoed and I it just hit me what you just said in regards to just not really being conscious all the time of the weight we carry. You know, I work in, you know, um, I work with children and it's interesting even just today. Um, one of the you know, I work in a trauma, trauma schools. Um, and one of my clients, he um, you know, had on the, you know had on a hoodie, and I'm like, you know, kind of take off your hoodie. And he's like, if I, if I'm, if I'm, why don't I take off yours? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so I mean he was little, but I was just like, oh, touche, you know. But um, you know, it's just the impact of sometimes even just having to constantly even have these sort of um dialogues. They definitely have an impact. So thank you. I wanted to read something, I'm, sorry, I'm gonna jump right to you. Um, beloved Huda shared something. Um, she was talking actually to another audience member, but I wanted to share it with you, just kind of getting back on this topic. Um, she said, um, women that marry men with trauma, <clears throat> who know their trauma and what and what they've really been through will try to death to protect them and love them and keep their family together, which in turn breaks her because she can't heal them and it isn't on her to do so. Then we got to deal with all the stuff on top of our own struggles and dealing with our own family. It's a sad cycle of cause and effect. Um, so I wanted to first speak to you about that comment and also just try to, because I think being self-aware and having ownership is really important. Do we, as Muslim women, how do I ask this question? Do we point the finger a lot at our at the struggles of our, of our Muslim men, of our, of, our, of, our, of our brothers? I'm just asking you, Mukhtar, what you think?
4: I think so. I think it happens a lot. <laughs> I think it happens a lot. Um, because it's easier to blame other people, right? I mean, sometimes it happens. I mean, accountability, right? It goes back to being accountable, and I think um, a lot of times that happens. I'm gonna like disclose a little bit about my own personal situation. When I first got married, when I was 18, um, I was very young, you know. Um, I started college, I didn't finish, you know what I mean, and I was like a quote-unquote stay-at-home wife. Um, but during that journey, I, I, I was becoming, I would say, I would say, depressed very irritable, lashing out and stuff like that. And I didn't really realize what was going on with me. Uh come to find out, it was a lot of resentment that I was having, you know, towards him, you know, like, you know, because I got married young and I and I wasn't living in my truth, right? All of my friends are going to college and excelling and I'm I'm at home. <laughs> like what am I doing with my life? And so I wasn't taking ownership of uh, my reaction to things, right? I was just lashing out, you know, just depressed. (laughs) And I had to really take accountability for my actions. You know what I mean? Like my father really had to check me too. Like, you know, get it together. (laughs) And I think sometimes we don't take accountability for the things that we do. You know, sometimes it's easy to blame him. Sometimes it is easier. You know, it's his fault. (laughs) But sometimes you really have, we have to own our, our stuff as women too. We do. You know, mm, mm. he didn't force he didn't force me to marry
0: him, you know what I mean? Yeah. And um
4: yeah, so that yeah. was yeah. Even
0: even though I I believe what you know Huda mentioned was is an extremely powerful analysis. Um, mm-hmm. if it's okay. And then I'm gonna jump to you, Halima, but I did want to oh, just well. jump really quickly to Brother Cossum. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a lot of truth in what Sister Huda said, brother, as it relates to just that cycle of um, I think you're still muted, brother can't hear you, brother. Brother Casa. You're unmuted, but for some reason we can't hear you. It might have been when you refresh. you want to ref maybe just try to refresh. it happens sometimes and then we can just just refresh. I'm going to jump over to Halima. If you refresh, you can come out, go out and come back in. And then if that's okay. Um, um, okay, so Sister Halima, I just wanted to, you know, sort of segue to you really quickly and just ask that question. So Sister Zakia said, people are getting married to people who hide their mental health diagnosis and psychiatric medications they're taken. Um, as it relates to relationships, <coughs> the impact of being in a relationship with um, a, a man of with trauma, um, what do you have to say about that? How how do, as as women, how do we manage that? Right
3: now, all these topics, I can Uh, can write a hundred books. I mean, I would say, you know, kind of what the brother and the sister were saying with, you know, in regards to accountability, um, um, in regards to you know, prior to marriage, you know, when the brother was mentioning getting a mental health analysis, disclosing certain things. I mean, some things you're just not gonna know, but, you know, um, people can hide things really well, you know? So, I mean, the important thing is definitely to do your homework, to take your time. And, you know, in my own personal experience, you know, I have um, come to the point where I have looked more internally to my decisions and why did I, you know, enter into that more? So not to say I don't care about what the brother's going through, but more so. What is it within me that needs to, um, you know, to work properly? Yeah. To, you know, so that, that's 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 not even a factor. It's not even it wouldn't be an option, you know, It so that's that work because even if you enter into something with someone who has mental issues and say, you know, you did the work prior to, and you don't know, they still, you really, until they want to take accountability and do that work, you really can't help them anyways. I mean, you can advise them, you know, we're mirrors of each other. We're mirror. We see things. The other one, you know, doesn't want to see about themselves, but ultimately they have to want to get, they have to want to get help, you know, so i felt like for myself my responsibility was to say what are you doing how are you accountable because like you said it's easy to point the finger it's easy for me to say oh he was wrong she was wrong but if i could look in and say could you have done things better should you have even got into that marriage mm-hmm. should, did you take your time it was that mental you know that place where you were at mentally did it because of that void is that why now you're trying to fill that void and now you're blaming someone else because you tried to fill the void that they couldn't even fill and they would never be able to fill. And then if they have mental issues on top of that, they not only filling, not filling the void, they're, they're adding to your trauma. So now you got another layer you try to deal with and you try and dissect everything. And yeah, you start you know thinking, I'm not crazy. <laughs> I'm not crazy, you know, but the ultimate, you know, the ultimate decision that a person can make for me personally, I can just speak from my personal experiences, you know, um, is that you got to look at you, <laughs> you got to look at you, you know, I, I remember after this last divorce, I had people say, oh, you need to say this about this, but you need to say he did. I said, well, I need to see why did I even, why did I even get into that more so than you know i mean i could figure that one out i'm not justifying if the person wasn't correct in certain ways but were there ways i wasn't correct yeah for sure are there ways in which if i would have been correct and really taken care of myself how have i would even considered uh that situation it wouldn't even been an occurrence because and it gets back to that unconscious decisions because, you know, all the trauma from our parents, all the things that we, you know, we didn't know, our parents didn't know, you know, but now that we're in the know, we're responsible. You know, so now we can kind of see, okay, I'm making the decisions, but why um, why is it resulting in this? You know, why is the decision that I'm making, all these crazy outcomes are happening? After a while, you can't blame people.
0: Mm. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's a whole word, brother Kasem. We're good. Thank you, Halima. I think that was that was okay, brother Kasem. Yes, can you, you hear me clear now? I... Yes, Aki. Um, do I need to repeat okay. the question? Or are you good, sir? To... No,
1: okay. I, you don't need <laughs> to repeat it. And you know what? It was this was by it was by Allah's decree that I had technical issues because now I don't need to say anything. But I and amen to what my sister said. So everything she just said. Is what I is what I would say from a man's perspective because she hit the proverbial nail on the head, and honestly, that's the point that I mean I have to again personalize it. You said how deep you wanted to go, we'll go deep. I'm personalizing it because that's where I'm at in my development, but I wasn't always there, so it's a different thing when you get first get married in, you're you're 23, you're marrying your your college sweetheart. You know what I mean, and it goes wrong. Then yeah, everybody's to blame. It ain't me, no. Well, I'm that dude. How you gonna blame me? You know, but then you move to a point of your development where I can echo what my sister said. Where you have to look at, okay, well, had I been thinking a certain way, would I have even entertained this? Or you start to just look at all the different scenarios and see where you played your part. So Alhamdulillah, I'm glad that you know I was able to hear her perspectives because all she did is from a, a woman's perspective mirror exactly what I wanted to share. You know,
0: Alhamdulillah. Thank you, brother. Um, I'm gonna um, chime in. Anyone can chime into this comment, but I did want to add in that the audience has a lot to share. You know, this is just a passionate topic for so many. Alhamdulillah, we're 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 very grateful that you guys are having space to really share your experiences. But sister Samira shared in the Muslim community, there is this pressure placed upon marriage as soon as possible. But nobody encourages the couples to work on themselves and their mental health before they decide to embark on such a sacred journey, which then results in abusive relationships and failed marriages. It's okay to have baggage, but we have to let our spouses know how much luggage we checked before getting on the plane. Sometimes it's too much for the other person, but we don't know this because and I, I'm sorry some of it's cut off but I, I guess because we we launched into marriage um some of it's cut off though um is there anyone that wants to kind of just comment this is just a mirror, just about this this is sister Amanda this um
2: i would just like to say going back to like one sister said that they people hide uh their mental <laughs> distra- health stuff when people yeah. in their marriage um I think also it goes back to what the sister said about accountability. Like sometimes we have to remember that you can't change a person. You can only change yourself. Okay. And, you know, you can encourage your your spouse to go to therapy or, um, you know, and tell them that, you know, that you feel like they need some help. But you also sometimes have to just stop and think, can I deal with this? You know, like, is this something that I can accept? And you have to ask yourself that hard question. Um, I think a lot of us will just, you know, blame, put complete blame on that person or maybe they'll were there all along, but we just, you know, we just love them or we just want to try to go through it. But at some point you have to turn into yourself and be like, okay, is this something I can deal with for the rest of my life? And if not, you need to think about, well, what's, what, what can I do
3: next?
0: Well, what if it's being, I mean, if I could just chime in, what if it's being hidden? Like, for example, I, I was recently talking to someone that said, you know, and they're in their 40s now. that They just were diagnosed with bipolar and they were like, oh, it makes so much sense now. And I have all these failed marriages. And now I kind of get why, you know, I've had these issues. And some people aren't aware um, and or they, they hide it like a diagnosis such as bipolar. H- how do how do you navigate something like that?
2: Well, if first of all, they can't hide it. You know i mean it's really hard to hide some of these things because you're going to see their behavior you're going to notice that they are the way they're treating you the way they're treating it's going to disrupt your home and that's when you have to be able to have on again back to have honest conversations um i think a lot of times we also people maybe for example in your situation a brother has bipolar and maybe he doesn't know i know bipolar is a big one but like he has a, a mental health disorder and maybe he doesn't know it and you start, you know, a lot of times in the anger, we'll come at them like, you got a problem. You're crazy. Like, we'll come at them angry rather than just come and, you know, when you're telling somebody that you think they need therapy or that they need some help, um, you have to be careful away the way you address it. You coming at them angry or, um, you know, telling them there's something wrong with them might actually do the opposite effects and make them not want to come to therapy because you know i'm not crazy or you made it feel like it's a bad thing if they do have a problem so if somebody's hiding something which they can't really hide because it's going to come out you can just address the danger like don't make it about don't focus on the person but focus on their behavior like hey you know i noticed that every, you've been having a lot of angry outbursts like what's going on you know are you dealing with some depression are you sad like where is that coming from you know you should be able to address these behaviors with your with your spouse and if you know and if they're hiding it it won't be hidden for long
4: right. and again
2: it goes back to what can you live with what can you deal with Can you handle someone who's going to have an angry outburst with you all the time or treating you a certain kind of way you
0: no. that, that's a good point because you know i asked this poll question i know I mean, amanda you participated but i asked this poll question about can you you know be in a relationship with someone with a mental health and it was just kind of like yes and no, yes and no. But the reality is, is that it, it's all based on our own capacity and what we're willing to live with. Would that be correct, panelists? No. Would you? Okay, no? Yes. Oh, no, no, I was, I was gonna say, yes, yeah. oh, I'm okay. sorry. Okay. i <laughs> to jump in, but I was gonna say yes. <laughs> you,
2: guys, you know, uh, there's this concept of, of called like, uh, what I work with some of my clients who have more, you know, they have issues with their spouse and their spouse and go to therapy. There's kind of this concept called radical acceptance and like where you can, you know, it goes back to what can I deal with? You know, I'm going to accept this person as he is or as she is. And if I can, if you can accept them, then you take, take it all that comes with it. But again, can you handle that? <laughs> you know? So I would say, I just want to add that part.
0: Yeah. Um And brother, um, Constant, you mentioned a powerful thing about doing willing to do the work as a right. critical component as well, not just being able to live with it, but being with people
1: that are willing to do the work to fix it is that right because it's it's a process Mm -hmm. and if you're undergoing this process as part of a unit then it's going to take a certain level of participation from both people i mean there's just no way you're going to get through it now i want to i want to try to and i don't want to take i I don't want to overstep uh my host, dear sister, Sabria, but Go ahead. Go ahead. but, here, but here, here's what I'm thinking because I understand, you know, we know that marriage, relationship, marriage is important. We know it's half-fardeen, all that stuff. But you know what I've been thinking about a lot lately, sisters? I've been thinking about the single and shut-in Muslims that are home that are dealing with issues and now they're disconnected from the masjid because that may have been their only source of socialization yeah. because when they came into Islam, they were the only Muslim that you know, the only person in their family that became Muslim. So basically they're isolated from their family, and now their family is the Ummah And now they're disconnected beyond what you may do on Zoom or Facebook or whatever. That's a, 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 a mental health issue that I think that in light of the reality of where we are now, we need to we need to think about that. And what are we going to do, or what can we offer to those folks? That are dealing with mental health challenges that are affected on that level. That are just disconnected. Yeah. I just wanted well, to throw I'm that gonna out ask, there. I'm
0: going to ask everybody how okay. how are we managing something like isolation? And isolation mm-hmm. can be just not from COVID, but the divorced woman sometimes is isolated. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there there's, there's so many reasons why we experience um, isolation and um, like you said, disconnection. This idea of disconnection. Mukhtar, I'm going to start with you, if that's okay. How are we managing that? How should we be
4: managing that? Um, I think a lot of times we aren't managing it very well. Um, Sisters and brothers, they be going through a lot. And sometimes they might feel like no one in the community cares about what's going on with them. No one is checking in to call, you know, to see how they're doing, or, you know, maybe they're not where they're at spiritually, right? So they feel, you know, they're they're just in, uh, they're in isolation and I think that's a problem. Um, We definitely need to have like an outreach committee. Uh, Maybe, you know, sisters and brothers can reach out to these individuals, you know, maybe text them for pleasure, or, you know, just to, you know, do you wanna meet up to go to lunch or to dinner? But I think that uh, Brother Kasa made a really good point with that, Um, a lot of people are definitely isolated um, and that goes back to like the lack, I think of some sisterhood and brotherhood, you know, like it, it goes it goes back to our relationship with one another. Um, I think we we can do better when it comes to how we uh, connect with each other and how we show love absolutely um,
0: absolutely. Thank you so you much sister Halima, only yeah. because you mentioned it, and I share in that experience, I talk about it often, often highlight the divorced um Muslim woman because of. The um the lack of support that she often has, and I know when I went through mine, my you know when I went through my divorce, and then I experienced something like COVID, that isolation, I can't even I, I can't put it to words. It was just un, almost unbearable, like just mentally and emotionally. I wanted to just ask you, like how mm-hmm. even since you shared that, um, how, how does a divorced woman even manage that isolation?
3: Yeah, it's it's tough, you know, because you know. A lot of us are going through things, and, you know, we don't want to talk about it. Or we feel like if we do, you know, it'll, you know, no one can help anyways. We're isolated and we feel, you know, just, you know, helpless. Yeah. So there's, you know, there's, you know, you have to, you still have to reach out. You still have to reach out. You have to, but, you know, we have to have a community where you feel comfortable to reach out. You have to have that comfort you know. um, And, you know, sometimes it does take being fearless and saying, you know what, I'm going through something. I need somebody to talk to. I mean, you'll get those people that are like, you know, judgmental or be like, okay, well, I don't know how to help you. But then you'll also find people that can finish your sentence. They know exactly what you're going through. And that right there in itself, not to say, you know, misery loves company or anything like that, but it can be a source of, you know just solace that you know what you know we're all going through something you know we all can relate you know but being in the pandemic it, it definitely makes it harder you know there's certain things that even just going to juma just being around your brothers and sisters and getting that uplift you know you just feel like okay just it's it's cut off you're cut off and you know now we're you know we're only connected through screens you know so it can be very um detrimental to someone who's you know single you know, man or woman, you know, um, their mental health, you know, Um, you know, usually, I I don't know, people are saying that now, like, you know, husband and wife, now that it's COVID, people are divorced. (laughs) So maybe single people might be, maybe they should be happy. don't have somebody to argue with. (laughs) I don't know, but there's definitely that, you know, that dynamic of, man, like, you know, a I'm single as it is. And my outlet was the community (laughs) and, you know, my friendships and seeing each other. And now it's like, slash cut. Right. So it can be, yeah, it can be, um, it can be depressing. You know, myself sometimes I'm like, you know what? I got to get out the house. I have to, you know, for a while, you know, I'm I'm a teacher. I teach kindergarten. We were at home and I was just like, I got to get out. I can't, this is, you know what I mean? Like, I have to, you know, get out of here. We, you know, I'm used to Fridays being my day. So yeah, it's, it can be, it can be overwhelming, you know, you know, when you know that you have to do a lot of things on your own and um, then you feel even more isolated, you know, being at home.
0: Absolutely, and Sister Amanda, I wanted to go straight to you and just talk about resources. What are some things that the um, the, the single um, Muslim can do during this time, or the, the isolated individual? What are some some ways in which we can better support our mental health?
2: Uh, well, it's funny because like I've been I've been doing a lot of therapy all through COVID, right? And like in the beginning, what were we doing in the beginning of COVID? <laughs> like we were first off isolation. Um, Every day, everybody was on Zoom. We're having Zoom parties. We're talking. We're uh, Zoom Zumba. You know, we were Holika's on Zoom. And as, you know, for May, I think in March, lost the time, literally been in COVID forever. But (laughs) in March, March and April, everybody was making this concerted effort to, like, connect. I was connecting with people who I hadn't even talked to just because we all thought we were home. And then as the years went by, we've been, you know, slowly decreasing or everybody's tired of Zoom. You know, we're not meeting or we don't want to bother people because we think we're being annoying. But what I found is a lot of people are stressing out from this COVID anxiety. Even like myself, I feel like, like, I'm just going to stay home. I find myself just oh, stay at home. Like, it's really important that we go back to doing some of the things we were doing in the beginning. Like, a lot of people just kind of stopped. Or it rained off, and then they just started trying to go through it alone. And, you know, or they talk to just one or, one or two people. But as we go into year two of COVID, I've been telling my clients to revisit what was working before. Go back to those Zoom classes, go meet in a parking lot six feet apart, <laughs> go, you know, meet with the people who can't, who you can meet. Make sure you're talking to the friends who you can talk to the ones that you know can have lean on each other don't be afraid to lean on each other or to feel like you're a burden and then also i'm going to say get a therapist Yeah, <laughs> you know therapist there's something really unique about sitting in front of a person something so therapeutic and unique and somebody giving you their undivided attention they're not going to talk about their problems they're going to let you talk like you know we all have Friends and we all have family, and a lot of people think I don't need I don't need a therapist because I got, I got my friends and family, I got a good support system. But you know, so your friends and family, you're not going to tell them all your stuff, right? Like you don't want to, for the stuff that you're struggling, you're not going to tell them all your stuff. Or sometimes they want to give you opinions that you just don't want to hear, you know, like from yeah. your like your um self. So when you get a therapist, this is a time when you're able to sit in front of someone and you're able to tell them all your stuff and they're focusing in just on you. They're listening to your experiences. They're asking you about yourself for a whole hour or so. It's all about you in a non-judgmental, open space. Um, and they're not going to talk about their stuff either. Well, maybe not. A good therapist shouldn't be telling you all their, <laughs> their <laughs> stuff. They should just focus <laughs> on you. So those are definitely two things I have some clients who literally, some really um, isolated clients who look forward to seeing you me each week. They're like, I didn't go out the house all week and I talk to anybody. And like, I get to see you. And I'm like, oh, yeah. so glad to see your face too. Like, that's beautiful. Hey, you that's know? Awesome. Yeah. So, therapists,
0: are a therapist that can help. Thank you so much for that advice. All right, we have a few questions. Brother Costa, I'm going to start with you if that's okay. How has social media created more mental health issues or contributed
1: to it? <laughs> Please, that's <laughs> endless, particularly for people who have issues around esteem anyway, to begin with, you know, social media, because, again, social media, people get to live. People get to put up facades that pose as their real life. So sometimes people are becoming, you know, I, I hate to use the word depressed, you know, but some people are actually becoming depressed or despondent because their real life doesn't measure up to something that they see on social media and they don't even take into consideration that that thing they may see on social media is somebody's fake life. It's not even real, you know? So there's much benefit that we've gotten out of social media for sure as a society and as humanity. But there's a lot of inherent dangers that have come along with it. And when folks don't manage it properly, particularly if you're already fragile to begin with, it can be very problematic. So, you know, I think that, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a real fine line between how we navigate this stuff. And, you know, as Muslims, we know we have a, 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 another, added, another added level or layer of how we have to navigate that space, you know? So we can't just have the norms that many of these folks have on social media because that's just not, that's not who we are. You know, that's not what we do.
0: Do you feel like the over um indulgence and, and like overexposure of the nudity is kind of jacking people's minds up as well, like you see on social media?
1: Oh, for sure it is. I mean, how can a person ingest all those type of images and things constantly and it not have some effect on them? You know, it you know, mm. consciously or subconsciously, even the strongest person that would think that is not affecting them, it's gonna affect them. You know, and then that trickles into their personal life because then they want to come back and, you know, they're looking for that, you know, on both sides sometimes, male or female. They're they're looking for that, you know, in your spouse, you know, and, and, you know, it's 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 really, you know, it's a slippery slope, you know. And again, I'm not one to just come out and and, and bash social media. You know, I got to a point where I had to be on social media because of the nature of what I do. I'm an author and things like that. And my best friend, my brother, will tell you, he had to literally ba- almost drag me kicking and screaming to get on social media. But it was necessary for what I do. But to this day, I still don't have a personal Facebook account. You know, I have a Twitter, Instagram, where I'm, you know, putting out things that I want. I never post pictures of my grandchildren online and things like that because I'm not spooky. But it's just like if their parents post them, that's them. As their grandfather, I'm not posting no pictures of my baby online because we have sick people out here, you know, and mm. that's just the reality of it. So it's not all gloom and doom, but for me, I know that it's a space that I navigate and tread carefully. And I think that all of us, particularly as Muslims in this space that we're in now, we have to navigate those spaces very carefully and, and, choo- and choose our engagements in that space very wisely. You Thank know. You,
0: Brandon. I appreciate that. And a Mokhtar, just really quickly, and then we're going to jump to another question, but I know you run a social media platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, has it contributed from what you're seeing? And I know you get a lot of dialogue, taking a lot. Absolutely.
4: Sometimes it could be more? a yeah, Sometimes it could be a lot. I mean, especially when people start like bashing genders, <laughs> yeah. you know, bashing the brothers or bashing the sisters, and you'd just be like, "Oh boy, here we go." I didn't log in for this mess, <laughs> you know. What I mean? mm-hmm. So it's a lot of that, and I think we have to uh, protect our peace at times. You know what I mean? Um, for sure. Uh, some people are using social media to think, um, they're using it as therapy. You know, you have family that's going online, airing their dirty laundry. And it's like, no, don't do that. You know, it's like, <laughs> and I think, uh, you know, in that regard, it, it can be problematic. Um, I think it's, it's good to take breaks sometimes. You know what I mean? Um, because sometimes it could just be a lot, you know, <laughs> <Not Absolutely.
0: y'all. laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I have a self-care, a radical self-care regimen. you know, usually after I do lives because, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's just come up here and we just have a good time. But you take in so mm-hmm. much energy, you know, yeah. you feel like depleted and you can feel mm-hmm. that energy. So sometimes yeah. I'm like, I have to take it. So I totally yeah. feel. I'm still,
4: I'm still learning that, too. I'm still trying. Yeah, to have you to have to. That.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's really important. Halima question. How would you suggest someone ask about mental health prior to marriage? And, and at what point in the courting phase would you do so?
3: <laughs> Sabrina, why you do this?
0: I don't know. I love you. <laughs>
3: um, well, honestly, I'd have to think about that. I mean, you know, asking about mental health, I think definitely, you definitely should, you know, have counseling. I think you definitely should have premarital counseling. And, you know, I mean, you can, you know, I don't like to talk about what I haven't experienced or what I'm not an expert at. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say, like moving forward, you know, when I plan on marrying in the future, whenever Allah deems, I would definitely seek, you know, counseling for myself at the same time as well as with that person and um, and just observe and take your time and ask questions, you know, I mean, you, you really can't do unless, I mean, maybe the other panelists can give some, you know, more, you know, suggestions, but just. For me, I would say it would just be a matter of just kind of observing, asking questions, getting to know people who know them and, you know, and definitely just making sure that, you know, you're honest with yourself. Because like the other sister said, um, they can't hide. You can't hide everything. (laughs) Some things you just can't hide. And if you really observe and if you really take your time and you're honest, you're very honest. You know you can prevent that but as far as questioning i mean me i will just you know like i said counseling and just kind of ask just I'm, i mean you know the best way possible without being you know rude or intrusive just kind of maybe you know like a, we have a licensed counselor here there might be spe- something specific we can yeah. ask the person that we're talking to that would give us the answer you know what i mean like we might ask it in a certain way and say, well, you know, what do you think about this? Or what is your experience with this in your past relationships? And, you know, I mean, honestly, that's, that's what the is for. Yeah, <laughs> you know, absolutely. because a lot of us don't, we, we're not equipped. We don't have the tools. Because, you know, I could say, I'll just ask. Or I could just counseling. But there's certain things that you need help and assistance with. And for me personally, I would get assistance with it.
0: Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yeah, You're
3: I would get some a professional to give me guidance through it.
0: Absolutely. Amanda, what do you recommend as you navigate this courting process? Well, I think it's important
2: to remember that, like, when it comes to mental health issues, we have, there's uh, general causes of what called some like heavy mental health issues, like the environment that you grow up in, you know, um, your childhood. Um, also, um, hereditary it can be her- hereditary. So well, you can take a minute and ask, even though these are uncomfortable questions, you should be asking uncomfortable questions to your future spouse. And so asking, like, do, does depression, uh, suicide, in personality disorders whether your family, mm-hmm. um, have you ever had any kind of mental health issue in the past? Um, and then, like the sister said, asking people who know your, your future spouse. You know, um, friends know, your friends, if a person is suffering depression, and you maybe ask their friend; they're gonna know that you know this person can't get out of bed sometimes, or they go missing sometimes, or you know they maybe have been hospitalized or things like that. So just really take the time, ask questions, ask about their their uh, you know their mental health, any mental health issues they've had in the past. Um, ask about their parents, their parents, their grandparents. These are questions you can ask. Another thing to take into consideration that people might not think about is like. When I said environment, um, if you're with a person, like, you gotta think about people's environment and where they grew up. Like, for example, and this is not this is not like true for everybody, but like if you marry a if you were to marry your brother, for example, who grew up in like the ghetto of Detroit, okay, <laughs> or ghetto, you know, like in like a rough area where they were probably exposed to violence. And, they maybe have seen, you know, or you can actually talk to them about things they've seen and experienced. You have to know that a person growing up in a certain kind of environment, then they maybe will care they've seen some things that could result in having PTSD, having uh, trauma. You know, having, these things are, they don't just like, it didn't just happen like, oh, when I was 16, I saw somebody get shot and killed in front of me, but yeah, you know, that's going to affect the person. You know, um, or you can also get little things from people's behaviors. Like I had a friend who grew up in a more high violent situation. And it's funny because every time we would go driving together, every time we would go through like a drive through or like in a like a side street, she always unbuckled her seatbelt. I always thought that was weird. Like, why are you unbuckling your seatbelt every time we go into like a small area? So one day she got this all the time. And I was like, like this? Why do you do that? And she's like, girl. Like I don't want to get called out here. Somebody might shoot in our car, or you know, I, I feel trapped. I feel when we go to these small areas, I feel trapped, and I need to know like where the exits are, yeah. <laughs> you know. So I don't like feeling like I can't get out the car. I was like, so you just gonna leave me in the car? I'm like, oh. so just car? Yeah. I'm saying? <laughs> or you know, like when you're around a person, you can see some of the things they might have, like especially you know, if a person every time you go you go to the movie with this person, they're always looking to see where all the exits are. You know, I mean know how to get out. I won't sit in the restaurant with my back to the door. But like, these are things that might at the time seem like small and insignificant, but they could really be t- giving you some signs about like some traumatic experiences they've had or some things that you know they some unresolved issues that they have dealt with.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Brother Brother Cossum, are you okay? You yeah, wanna yeah, I'm
1: add? good. Yeah, sister Amanda, yeah, that's a valid point, but I but I have to say something. Have you friends. know, that's some of us as men. That's part of our training, because I grew up. I totally you know, understand that. You know, my, for, yeah. my my formative years of my life, my early years preteen, I grew up in a Nation of Islam. Mm-hmm. All right, and then we transitioned to Islam, you know, as we know it. So for me, when I walk in a place, the first thing I determined is where where the exits are, right. who's around. Right. I don't sit with my back by the door, and it's not because I was, you know, I was. Raised in an environment where there was violence, but there's just certain things that we were just taught as little boys around situational awareness. So I know that you weren't everybody with one broad stroke. Of no, blood. no, I know no. You but I'm just saying to those that are listening, you know, you, you might want you might want to be around some people that are like that every now and then. this <laughs> day I, I, <laughs> and yes. a black person. So like, I
0: the need
2: you to... And it's actually interesting because that <laughs> that intersects back with uh-huh. African American our yes. African American community and stuff Absolutely. that we you know that we've actually had to experience and deal with, you know. So I'm not saying it, it's a bad
0: I'm just saying
2: <laughs> these are signs
0: there might be
2: Yes. Yes, I'm just but, yes, ma'am. I, also, yes, ma'am. but I want
0: I think it's I think it's power. I, I love this exchange. I love it. I think it's super, super powerful. Now this is I don't know if you want to comment as well, but I think it's super, super powerful. And I'm looking at the comments and I'm listening, I'm looking at the comments, and I and I also agree that you don't want to get stuck because our experience is very unique as black people here in this country. And you know, we want to talk about trauma and violence. I mean that I'm sorry, that's that's a lot of our history, unfortunately. SubhanAllah. And then, and then we're still living in an age where I, we have to be hyper-village. Village. They're still hunting us, right? Well, sometimes um, I, I also don't want us to um, you know, um, be dismissive, because I, I think sometimes as, as Muslim women, we can be sometimes dismissive of our brothers that have been through that. But like you said, cultivated that training, that strength that is actually needed to survive in a society that aims to annihilate us, that aims to keep us oppressed. So as long as, like I said, we are using the tools to do the work, right? To do the work, to make that we are healing the harmful aspects of it. I think that's important. But I just wanted to balance the dialogue a little Mm -hmm. bit. The comments are just kind of, they're going in as well. And I'm going to go
2: go ahead. Can I add add something to that?
0: Yeah, please. I
2: absolutely understand. That, yeah. that
0: is a part of our culture and that
2: it's something that we've actually had to use to survive and that is perfectly fine but and when it gets to the point like sometimes with trauma and hypervigilance when it gets to the it's fine when it's you get it's maintained or it's survival but when it gets to the point where some of our brothers are not sleeping they're mm-hmm. and having insomnia they're having flashbacks they're having you know um they're constantly living in a life or fight mode which is not we're not supposed to be in that mode all the time yeah. that's when you need to go to therapy therapy can help get rid of some of that stuff but like again I love the idea of the, of the brothers being the protector in that way and being able to manage that and pay attention because it's, it's very vital but it's also everything has to have a balance and if it's yeah. affecting you in your actual day to day life where you can't trust anybody or you can't you know you're sleeping with a knife under your bed or something you know like uh and you're perfectly safe and you're living with your wife and you're like you know on guard all the time then it's like okay what 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 trauma what is this do i need to maybe i need to resolve some of this maybe i need to talk to somebody about this because it's affecting my day-to-day life
0: absolutely that's what i'm doing. thank you that that makes a lot of sense thank you so much and again i appreciate the dialogue mr mokhtar and sister halima do you want to chime I'm in at long. all
4: yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm triggered by that a little bit. Because <laughs> I was okay. raised in a very militant household, you know what I mean? Three or four locks on the door, you know? <laughs> right, right. She even put oh, the gun God. under the pillow, child. For
0: not, for not. Mm.
4: <laughs> so I do understand. <laughs> I do understand that, I mean, you know, our parents, <laughs> but, you know, that's the that's how they grew up, you know, it's survival mode. I, I get it. I understand, but like the sister said, you, you know, you you have to have balance with it all. Uh, what I wanna say is that a lot of us are, some of us are married into other cultures, African brothers, Asian brothers. And I think it's important for us to understand their cultures as well, when married into their cultures, how they view mental illness, how they handle it. It is very important. First <laughs> it's very important um, because that plays a part in how um, you know, you, you are interacting with your spouse in the marriage is very important, um, uh, because different cultures handle things very differently, you know what I mean? Some people aren't even acknowledging it, you know. Uh, for some people, it's just the waswas, it's just the whispers that that's it, you know. We're not gonna deal with uh, you know, the, the PTSD and the uh, the OCD and the and anxiety, it's just the whispers of shaitan. So, I think it's very important to really understand people's cultures when you intermarry, it's very important. You know, because a lot of our sisters are married to West African brothers, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's another—that's another thing. You know what I mean? That's another ball game. How people, you know, deal with that mental
0: health. Wow. Uh, speak glasses uh, go and speak the truth over there. I could get deep oh, with that. I mean, that that's a—that's the whole <laughs> on, point, on. though. That's very, mm-hmm. sometimes we don't think about that when we're engaging in, to, um mm-hmm. these. matters. Um, it's important to look at the layers with that. Halima, did you, you want to chime into this dialogue? Thank you, Susan Mctar.
3: Yeah. Um, I mean, that's real, you know, my, you know, um, so much to say, I kind of backtrack a little bit as far as trauma and, you know, background, Um, you know, my parents are from the South Bronx, you know, and they grew up in one of the worst neighborhoods, you know, in New York City. And I just remember growing up always feeling like, you know, because my dad would be like, watch your back, you know, like, you know, just not trusting. That, that you know, and I think it was kind of taking a, I, I don't know, I feel like it caused us to be like, you know, always trying to figure out just what people are doing, what their motives are, you know. Um, so because he came from such a volatile, you know, um, environment, you know, where he felt that like he had to survive when he walked out that door, you know, that six, you know, story uh, projects and, you know, when he went out to go play handball and he went out to go, you know walk past the drug dealers or walk past you know the gang members you know and you know so that just you know when you talk about marriage you talk about people's backgrounds and their parents and where they come from it's just all interconnected you know i really had to think myself like okay you know this you know where is some of this kind of like mistrust and things like that coming from that that'll stem back from things like that you know like Like I said, my dad was like, you know, he didn't trust anybody in his neighborhood. Everybody was suspect. (laughs) You know, I remember even now when I'm walking, I'll be looking like, you know, like who's that? you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to get too close, you know? And that's something that, you know, was definitely passed down, you know, from my father. You know, but like the sister was saying, you know, you could kind of take that too far. It could, okay, the protective nature and the the innate you know, nature to survive, right, can be exacerbated by the trauma of living in these type of environments. Then you take that all to your family and then, you know, you think you're being protective, but, you know, you could be being overbearing. You could be, you know, mistrustful or teaching your children to mistrust or or start even seeing your spouse as an enemy. You know, so it, could, it can really go, it can run deep.
0: -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, I mean mean, mean, we're trying to end the podcast. I (laughs) I
3: have been, I like I think for me the last year, I have been trying to figure out. I've been trying to figure out like through my parents, their trauma, what they've been through. I'm like, okay, I gotta see why these things happening within me, you know? And it just dots start connecting, you know, and it's like, I mean, you can't figure everything out. Allah knows all, but it at least help you to the path of healing and not making the same unconscious decisions. Because like one of the panelists say, some of my parents, they they ain't never (laughs) going to change. You know what I mean? And, you know, we respect them. That's their view. They're going to be who they are. But if we, Allah has blessed us to have that mindset that we can say, you know what? Well, let me observe, find out what they went through. Look at some of the patterns of, you know, their life and my life, see the parallels. And, you know, then things will get better, inshallah. You know the future. There's hope.
0: There's hope. There's hope. Because <laughs> somebody's trying to change. <laughs> yeah, this conversation gives us hope. Subhanallah, we're coming to the end of this podcast. I mean, just it's it's super. It's getting super powerful now because I think this. Because you know I've been on this journey with my whole inner child healing work as well, and just going to try to connect current you know behaviors and decisions to my childhood and upbringing as well. And that's really, really, really powerful work to do. But I did want each one of you guys to just leave with some um, insight, last bit of advice that you can offer the community as it relates to managing our own mindsets, managing our mental health, or even managing our relationships. For the um, classroom, if it's okay, um, can I start with you?
1: Sure, yes. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for having me on, and it was an honor to be with all you brilliant sisters today. I, I learned so much. And what I would say to uh, your audience is that, yes, you know, we know that the best communication is when we communicate with our Lord. And, you know, and that's, you know, we're not going to, you know, gloss over that. But I would say secondary to that, certainly, as my sister Amanda said, find you a therapist, really, find you somebody to talk to. And I'll just close with this one point, Sister Sabria. I remember being at a lecture uh, some years ago with uh, Dr. Cornell West. Everybody knows who he is. I do a lot of lectures on the college circuit or whatever. And he gave some, uh, some, uh, some numbers. He gave some stats where he talked about there was a survey that was done of young black men. And I forget how many men. It was a wide number of people. But uh, they said 80% of these young men that were surveyed said that they don't have one person that they feel that they could trust. That they could go and talk to and he was doing the survey the survey was apparently around the idea of like religious and faith leaders so i asked us all right if we can't if we don't have a family figure or an imam or, or a therapist to talk to who do we talk to to help us manage these things you know so for certainly you know communicate with your lord you know trust in allah do the best you can But for those things where you need to talk to somebody in real time, brothers and sisters, there's no shame in that. You know, there's, you know, there's dignity in stepping up to the plate and confronting whatever challenges that Allah has put on you, because we already know that Allah doesn't burden us except what we already have the capacity to bear.
0: Beautiful, beautiful advice. Thank you. Sister Mukhtar, can you leave us with some words? Yes, Um,
4: what I want to say is um, you're not alone in your journey. And there's light at the end of the tunnel. This is only temporary. This is only temporary. Um, you know, just find do the things that you love to do. Tap into the things that you love to do. Um, if you got like a, a good friend that you could talk to, that you trust, go to them, talk to them. Um, you know, like the sister said, seek some type of uh, ther- therapy. If you don't find a good fit, don't quit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Find someone that feel so comfortable with that you know that you feel like you you know that you um can get the help that's necessary and um trust in Allah trust in Allah um utilize your um t-hat-shut. utilize your prayer it saved my life <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> and um you know you're great you're loved you gotta love yourself love yourself and um, you're not alone You know, mashallah. That's all I really
0: wanted to (laughs) say. Thank you. That was
4: beautiful. Sister Halima. Oh, Um, I would just
3: kind of just go back, go off of what my beautiful brother and sister just said. You know, you know, you're not alone. You know, the more when I opened up and talked to other people, um, took a chance, (laughs) even people that I wasn't, you know, too close with and kind of shared some of the things that I was going. Amazed me how um how open they were and they listened even more so than people that I'm close with. You know, so definitely, you know, trust in Allah. You know, ultimately I've been in a place in my life where I've, you know, cried out, you know, called imams, you know, uh went to my parents, went to, you know, all these people. And then at the end of it, I sat back and I'm like, all I had left was Allah, you know. And sometimes, you know, the message I would ha- would like to leave with you know the audience and people who will watch this podcast is you don't have to be a scholar you don't have to do a specific vicar or specific hadith or go to a sheikh all you have to do is talk to Allah tell him what it is that you want specifically ask him for that healing because no one else can heal you you know be specific and I mean it doesn't even have to be You know, alhamdulillah, if you can get up for the hajj, if you're laying in bed, just talk. You're driving the car, just talk. Say, oh, I need this from you. I can't handle this. Please show me, guide me, take me where it is that is pleasing to you. You know, so I think that sometimes we have this idea like, oh, I have to know this. I got to have this dick or I have to have this do or no. Just talk to the one who gave you life. You know and he will just settle it all you know and it's I know it's easier said than done I've been in that place where I'm like I'm just through I'm just through yeah. so but what got me through it is that communication and and just not organized not something just holistic just you know not something that's just organic it's just organic is what I mean just some just organic conversation with your creator and then also therapy you know, getting help, you know, is so taboo, you know, even when we're growing up, it's just this idea of like, ain't nothing wrong with you. Just be quiet. You're all right. Stop complaining. That didn't hurt. You're okay. You know, and no, we're not always okay. Get help.
0: Thank you, beautiful, beautiful. And Sister Amanda, beloved, um, please give that last bit of advice and please um, end your advice if that's okay in reference to what's your contact information for those. There's a few people that did ask for that. So please, your last bit of advice and contact information.
2: Okay. Uh, Well, just like to echo what everybody said, just remember that like literally we all have problems. Like none of us on this panel, none of us in here we're not coming out unscathed in this life. <laughs> Allah said he would test us, and it's true. He also said that there's a cure to every illness, and therapy can be helped for that cure. Um, one of the therapies that I do, the EMDR therapy, one thing I love about it, that like maybe want to go learn about it, is that in this therapy, your, our bodies kind of heal themselves. It's not a lot of talking, it's through eye movements. Our bodies have a way of processing and healing itself. Allah has already made this, made our, made us with the capabilities of healing. You know, so I like knowing that, and I think a lot of times people don't recognize that therapy is not doesn't always just have to be sitting in a room and talking to somebody for an hour. You know, therapy can be a, um, a trauma type therapy. It can be somatic therapy where it's very little talking and it's just working on like body work and feelings within your body. So I think it's important for people to just please take the time to figure out what might work best for you. Um, As the sister mentioned, you might meet a therapist who doesn't match with you very well. You know, don't think, oh, I tried therapy once, That person didn't understand me. It's important to find someone who is culturally competent, who understands your needs. It can be hard, Muslim, but we have like the Muslim Wellness Foundation, I think they have like a list of. Muslim therapist you can talk to. If you're in Louisville, you can call me. Uh I'm um gosh, what is my handle? Mine's so um let's see. Fa- on Facebook, you can find me at um Lamb. I'll I'll type it. Can I type yeah. it somewhere and give okay, it to I you? Because I don't like know the actual name, but I have a yeah, Facebook yeah. page. Just yeah. never mind. There. Um <laughs> but you can reach out to me there. Um, but just really remembering that you're not alone and that Allah told us to utilize what we have. And so, you know, you can have a law, you can have
0: this theme and you can have a there. Yes, upon Allah. Thank you guys so much. I really deeply appreciate this discussion. Um, first and foremost, I wanted to just um, give, you know, honor and respect to our panelists. Um, individually. Thank you so much Sister for coming on. Thank you for the work that you do, especially in the release and keeping us that have our those second generation, third generation Muslims that don't often have outlets or safe place to go to sort of have that, build that community. So thank you for your perspective tonight. I appreciate you deeply.
4: You're welcome. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you. And Brother mm-hmm. Qasim, thank you so much for holding it down for the brothers. Thank you for the work that you do. Being an author and a lecturer, mashallah. Thank you so much. Your leadership in our community. Thank you for your perspective.
1: Alhamdulillah. Thank you for having me. Sisters, thank you for allowing me to be in, the, in your space with you today. I appreciate thank you. you. Thank you,
0: alhamdulillah. Yeah. Sister Lima, thank you so much. Um, your perspective was completely um, powerful and and I would even say um, life-changing. Um, thank you for your authenticity. Thank you for showing up and thank you for constantly just being a woman that I personally witness evolve. I appreciate just watching that, Alhamdulillah, it's
3: awesome. Alhamdulillah. I appreciate um, you having me and just hope I can help.
0: Alhamdulillah. And Sister Amanda, thank you for being the go-to. I've tried to get you back on several times, but thank you. I know you do so much pioneering work in your community. Um, thank you so much for sharing your perspective, your wisdom and your knowledge and expertise. Um, we deeply appreciate you for coming on.
2: Thank you for having me. It is an honor. I hope I didn't trigger anyone on the phone. <laughs> no, no,
0: We love it. Oh the God dialogue God. is just gorgeous. <laughs> <and my laughs> I in
4: the dialogue. I'm triggered every day. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> the,
0: triggers are, the triggers are good because it shows us what we need to work exactly.
2: on, right? Exactly. I'm about to go do some work. Absolutely.
0: Okay. <laughs> Thank you to the audience, dope, dope, dope audience members. It is very apparent that you are a conscious group of people. You are people that give us as a community, that, that give us as mothers and as fathers hope for our children because you are consciously aware and having these uncomfortable conversations um, and looking for resources and looking for ways to better facilitate our own um, healing and taking ownership of where we are. inshallah. there is definitely hope for our children, Zazakullah um, Kaiden. SubhanAllah, um welcome. Um, I wanted to just invite you guys back. Um, next week there will not be a Wednesday podcast because we are having a little bit of a um little bit of a connection week, I would like to call it. We're going to return the following week because we're going to dive into a really heavy, heavy, uncomfortable podcast um, as it relates to Polygyny, um, but it's going to be done in a different format. I'll give you more information about it. Um, and so we're preparing that and trying to deliver that in the best manner because we know that's going to be pretty polarizing. Jazakallah Kaidan, we love you guys. Thank you, you guys so